Today we're concluding a series we've been in entitled, It's Complicated. And relationships, they're complicated. It's complicated being married. It's, it's complicated understanding and raising your children. If you noticed, every child has a different personality type. It's complicated in a workplace to, to be able to navigate the routines and schedules and responsibility with people who are just different from us. And today we want to talk about conflict resolution, something all of us need. And as we go into this subject of conflict resolution, here's what I want to encourage us. Solve it, don't dissolve it. Solve it, don't dissolve it. You, you can quit the job because you're not getting along with a coworker. Go to the next job and you'll find their cousin works there, okay? <laughs> yeah. Oh, get out of this marriage and find somebody and it's, guess what? There's issues in the next one. It just, conflict resolution is just a part of life. Dealing with people. So you see, you may be a metric and they're a standard. You, you, you may be silk, but you know somebody that's bob wire. You, you, you may be low voltage, but there's somebody in your life that's high voltage. People are different. And in a marriage, conflict, just it's dealing with an all-time personality. I mean, as couples, you, you can have an argument driving down the road on who gets to use the phone charger in the car? Your workplace, the environment. It may feel like Monday through Friday, the running of the bulls. I mean, it's just personality and politics and, and just navigating all of those challenging situations. Conflict resolution. Now, there's, there's five styles of conflict resolution that I want to talk about, and I want to I describe them in the form of an animal. But the animal type really represents how we as individuals deal with conflict resolution, deal with conflict in life. There is the one, the, the tiger. The tiger attacks and devours. You know somebody like that? Yeah. There is the skunk. They raise a big stink in life. Yeah. The, the, they can just make any situation bigger and worse than it could be and should be. Then there's the turtle. The turtle just pulls into a shell. They just, they retreat back into themselves. Then there's the squirrel. The squirrel is skittish. The first sign of conflict, they run away and hide. They don't deal with it. They, they're the person who's going to quit the job or they stop responding to calls. They don't want to talk to you. That's just, they just avoid conflict at all costs. And then fifth, there is the sloth. They do nothing. They just do nothing about it. You talk to them. Don't you see my point of view? And it's a blank stare every time. Now, here's the question. Which one are you married to and which one do you work for? Okay. And I would dare say that person is very different from you. Now, relationships, and as I walk through the four, the four different status of relationships, categories of relationships, you're going to begin to put people you work for, family members, you're going to begin to categorize them in one of these four categories. Relationships. There is the tranquil relationship. That's your getting along. Everything is fine. Things are going smoothly. You enjoyed it. It's satisfying. But we do understand it does require maintenance. That's the tranquil relationship. Then there is the tense. The tense relationship. That's the one that's become distant, removed perhaps even strained. And you'll, you'll, you'll notice in the workplace, there's always that I'll call irregular person, different from you. And that irregular person that can, can just 
kind of say the wrong thing at the wrong time unintentionally, that person that you just don't want to have their workstation next to you, they're your irregular person in life, that tense relationship. Then there is the number three, the turbulent relationship. It's usually characterized by arguments, not speaking. It's become cold in the home. It's the person you want to unfriend. It's the turbulent relationship. And then number four, the toxic relationship. The toxic relationship is the one with anger, insults, deep hurts. It's the one that just feels like the conflict can never be resolved. And toxic people, they have a way of throwing poisonous darts into your life. They can say things or do things that you will remember for a long time. And toxic people have a way of taking chunks out of us. They, they, they have a way of just, of just digging into our heart and digging into our life and, and scarring us. Now, I'm sure as I walk through those four different categories, you begin to put names in each category. And this person and that person and that person. Conflict resolution. It's so important in life, and you know what? Many of us graduate from high school and college, and we have never been taught on how to resolve conflict. I mean, there's conflict on the job. There's conflict between family members, between a, 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 a parent and a stepchild, between, between parents and their children, between in-laws. Between There's all kinds of conflicts, and we don't know how to deal with it. And we discovered in life that conflicts can mess up your life. I dare say a lot of our prayer life is surrounded around conflicts. There's somebody that's on your nerve. There's somebody you're having trouble with and you're saying, God, kill them. God, get rid of them. God, do something. Promote them somewhere else. God, get them out of my life. And what we realize is you can't ignore conflict because conflicts are just a part of life. You can't run from it. It'd be great to run from it. But conflicts are just there and they have a way of messing up our lives. The Bible tells us in James chapter 3, and we're going to begin to share with us today, biblical steps, biblical principles on how to resolve conflicts in your home, your life, your marriage, your family. How to resolve conflicts. James 3 and 18 says, and those who are peacemakers will plant the seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Catch that. If you want peace, you have to plant the seeds of peace. And what it is saying here is you're either planting a seed or you're spreading a germ. You're either planting a seed for peace of harmony or you're, you're spreading the germ of conflict, grumbling, hostility, debate, disagreement. And we realize in life our attitude matters. You know, an attitude can lift up the workplace. It can make it pleasant. Or an attitude can make the, work, the workplace the, the most miserable place to be. The key is, are you planting seeds or are you spreading germs? There's germs of grumbling. If, if you start grumbling about something, it will just begin to grow in the workplace. It will begin to grow in the relationship. 
Scripture calls on us to be a peacemaker. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verse number 9, he said, blessed are the peacemakers. Why? They're going to be called the children of God. There's so much hostility in America right now between the left and the right. There's, there's, this, this country is just torn. And it seems like social media is the place to vent. And it seems like if you, you give an opinion, someone's going to rage or, or attack you or assault you on social media. And it gives you permission to lash back at, against them. And you know what Jesus is saying? If you want to be known as a child of God, be a peacemaker. Don't get on social media and fight with everybody. Be a peacemaker. And with that in mind, I now want you to join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in Scripture. This is the chapter we endearingly call the love chapter. And in the love chapter, verses 4, 5, and 6, God's Word is going to give us insights on how to deal with conflict. Now, fellas, guys, let me just say, this chapter on love, the love chapter, we, we kind of always frame it in, in the dating, the engagement, the marriage relationship, or with our kids that we love. We always kind of frame it in that sentimental, very close family or personal or that intimate relationship. But there are different words for love in the New Testament. Now, we have one word, love. But in the Bible, there are at least five Greek words for love. And one of them is Philadelphia, brotherly love. Jesus will say, love your neighbor as yourself. So guys, I know it feels sometimes a little icky to talk about love for the coworker, but it, it, the, the word love is just showing God's goodness and God's character and being a, and a person that just displays, displays goodwill towards others. So it, it's not always framed in that romantic love. And with that in mind, Let's see what the Bible tells us about love, which we should have love for all. Now, as we read through this, I want you to notice in these three verses, there are three affirmative statements, and I'm going to point them out to us. And there are eight not, N-O-T, not statements. So let's read verse number four and following. <laughs> love is patient. There's the first affirmative statement. Let's continue. Love is kind, the second affirmative statement. Now we're going to go into in succession of eight not statements. Let's read. It, love, it does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of long, wrong wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices. Here's the third affirmative statement. Rejoices in truth. And you can almost picture in your mind the apostle Paul, he was looking at people in the Corinthian church and he was noticing they're doing this wrong and they're doing that wrong and they're doing that wrong and they're behaving like this and they're responding to their friend, their neighbor, their family member like this. He says, that's not love. It's not, 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 not. And he gives them eight things they should not do. And basically what scripture is saying is get off the not train. And many of us, we're functioning in life 
just the just a survival of the fittest mentality. Well, this is how I was raised. This is just how you speak. This is how you communicate. Mom and daddy did it, so this is how I communicate. I'm inviting us to get off the not train. And how do you do that? How do you stop that? How do you stop being involved? How, how do you break that cycle? Well, <laughs> there was a there was a, a a couple that needed marriage counseling. And they went to a marriage counselor, and they're saying, we've got to have help. It's their first session at the marriage counselor. And as they went into the marriage counselor, the wife said, just to begin with, she said, I will tell you right now, there's no hope for us. It's not going to work. You can't, you can't cure this. There's, we fight all the time. We disagree about it. We're opposites in every way. It will not work out. So the counselor began to listen to them, and about 40 minutes later, the session was ending, and the counselor perceptibly said, he said to the wife, I've noticed. Now you said there's nothing good. There, there's nothing to hold on to. But I noticed in the course of this 45 minute conversation, two or three times you referred to your husband as hun. You called him hun. And that tells me that there's at least something to hold on to because you referred to him as hun. And she spoke up and said, I meant Attila the hun. That's who I met. Well, I want to tell you, you're not stuck where you're at. You're not stuck in the not category. There are three affirmative things that we can do, and Scripture listed as patience, kindness, and truth. And these three things will help us to resolve conflicts in our relationships. And I want to frame them under what I'm going to call three my statements. Three my statements. The first one being, patience requires my willingness. Patience requires my willingness. Patience just doesn't happen. Patience requires my willingness. In fact, the word for patience in the Bible is not just ignoring, is, is not being like the squirrel and running off or the turtle and pulling into a shell. Patience in the Bible has the idea of self-restraint. In other words, it requires my willingness. In fact, the, the word in the Bible, the Greek word used for patience, has the idea of, of something that's long. What do you mean something this long? It literally means to have a long fuse. In other words, you don't, you don't just blow up, blow up. You don't go off the handle. You're not demanding. You're not intimidating. You're not brash. Patience. Giving time and space, not jumping to conclusions. And in order to have patience, it requires our willingness. Now, I'm going to share something with you that everybody in the retail business, you've heard it and, and you've practiced it for a long time, but it is not correct. It's an incorrect statement. And when I say it, you're going to finish the statement because you've heard it many, many times in sales meetings, etc. And it's this, the customer is always, that's wrong. Do you know sometimes the customer is wrong. The impatient customer is wrong. We've all seen this witness in some degree sometime. We've seen the person, because it 
the order didn't come in right or it was delayed or the wrong color or this didn't happen or the delivery didn't happen. The flight was delayed. The order at the counter was wrong. And we've watched people lash out and scold and just berate somebody and, it's, it, and take Take the fact that they got a Dr. Pepper instead of a diet Dr. Pepper personal and scold the person at the counter. You know that impatient customers are wrong. The Bible calls us to be patient. Now, I'm not saying ignore it and I'm not saying appease it. I'm not saying when you go to the workplace tomorrow, manager, that, that you just say, oh, y'all do whatever you want and whenever you want and however you want. No, I'm not, I'm not appeasing it. Yes, you have requirements, you have deadlines, you have things you need to handle, but we can do it in a way that doesn't berate. We don't immediately judgmental, jump to a conclusion. Do you know the opposite of patience is frustration? Anytime you're frustrated, you are at the antithesis of patience. And by the way, patience is a fruit of the Spirit. It's something the Holy Spirit, over time, wants to cultivate in every one of us, self-included. Patience for people. That is something God said, if you will be patient, it will, it will solve a lot of the conflicts at home and in the workplace. Frustration is not a key to any door. It won't make your relationship with your son better. Frustration will not produce better productivity. Frustration will not bring the best out in people. Frustration will not heal the disagreement. Frustration will not solve the problem you're having. Frustration never works. And anytime we've lost our patience, we instinctively know that we're losing the battle. And the scripture is teaching us here in this love chapter to be patient. And I wanna, I wanna invite every one of us. You need to exercise your patient muscle. Every one of us, we have a patient muscle. And some of you haven't exercised it in a long time. When you go to eat today and something doesn't happen, there's not of ice in your tea or or you didn't get seated as quickly as the family that came in after you and you noticed it and you've had the corner of your eye, you, you saw it and you're beginning to fume. Exercise patience. The coworker tomorrow, the, the family member, your wife, your husband, exercise that patient muscle. How do you do that, Pastor? Three things, prayer, gratitude, and understanding. There's just times you need to pray about it. And you don't need to always pray against people. You need to sometimes pray for yourself. Do you ever just pray for yourself? Oh, God, help me. Oh, God, help me to be more understanding. Help me, God, to get through this. Help me, God, not to lose my cool. And then gratitude. Find something they're doing that you can appreciate. Yes, find something good that they've done. Find, find something to compliment them. And then the scripture tells us understanding. You know what? You know what? Maybe the reason they didn't do it is they haven't been trained. Maybe they didn't understand the directions. Maybe we don't know what they went through. Maybe we don't know the software program was down and not functioning right, and that's why they're laid on this. 
understanding. Prayer, gratitude, and understanding will strengthen the patient muscle. Number two I share with you, kindness. Kindness. Kindness requires my involvement. I can't be on the sideline and and believe I'm practicing kindness. Dormant kindness is neglect. Unspoken kindness is inattention. Inactive kindness is a loss. In fact, we say random acts of kindness. If there's not action, there is no kindness. There's nothing, there's no such thing as this subjective inside, this emotional, this devotional kindness that only you have, but you never express it. You see, kindness works when nothing else will. When lecturing, when demanding, when criticizing, when, when nothing else is working, try kindness. And kindness remind, re- requires my involvement. The scripture tells us in Proverbs 15 and 1 that a gentle answer turns away wrath. And, and something happens with your, your son, your daughter, your stepson, your stepdaughter says, says you telling me what? Say this next time. Oh my, how can I help you? Yeah, yeah. It could transform the home. They're going to ask you for your birth certificate. Are you really the person that's been living? Or are you in disguise? Are you somebody else? You see, there is no vaccine for criticism. Don't you wish there was? Don't you wish the CDC came out? Don't you wish the scientists found out some type of serum that they could just inject people and all of a sudden they would be kind? Oh, I, I, I can nominate some people to get that vaccine. How about you? Yeah, yeah. It's that, it's that asymptomatic unkind person. They're unkind and they don't even know it. They're bossy. They're demeaning. They're condescending. They're accusatory. You know, that, that person that can just ask you a question and accuse you at the same time, you know what I'm, you know, you, you know what I'm talking, about? You're talking about? They just don't know how to speak kind. Criticism, criticism. Somebody said, I quote, when you are angry, you're going to make the best speech you'll ever regret. Hmm. Yeah. There's things you say when you're angry, even if you're right, you're wrong. Even if you have a point to your employees or your kids or your spouse, if you say it with an angry tone, you're wrong, you're wrong even if you're right. And you know when you feel it on the inside. That wasn't, that didn't feel right. Why? Because it was accentuated with, with anger. Here's what I would say. Let me bring it down to some practical steps for us. On a one to 10 scale, one means no kindness at all. Almost none, almost nothing at all. And 10, you're the most kind planet person on planet earth, one to 10 scale. Here's what I'd say. Whatever the moment demands, be just one degree above that. 
Whatever the moment demands, if, if the moment demands you being a five in kindness, be a six. If the moment demands you being a six, be a seven or eight. You know, that's what Jesus taught us. He said it'll be by your good works people will glorify the Father in heaven. Yes. So whatever the moment demands, one to ten scale, whatever it is, your goal is to be just one degree above what is necessary at that moment. And I was trying to think, what are, th- what are ways that we express kindness? And I, I, I know we're, we're in a COVID moment, but, you know, one way you express kindness is hugging. And, and during COVID, we just can't do that. And, and I'm, having, I'm having a hug deficiency right now. Can I tell you that? I, I tell people hugging is medicine for the heart. And during COVID, we, we can't hug. And, and we don't know, do I shake your hand? So what do we do? We offer you the elbow we're supposed to cough in. We put all of our germs here and then we offer, I don't know about that. I, seems like we still haven't figured this whole thing out. You know what I'm talking about? So I, well, I, I'm thinking, you, you, we can't hug now. So what, what is the way we express kindness during this? I've got it. Enchiladas, there it is. I mean, just, I'll tell you what, enchiladas can just minister to me from head to toe. They just make everything better. Can I get an amen to that? Yeah. Or how about, how about taking your daughter a chocolate-covered strawberry? Oh, isn't that good? Yes. I know we text and email and. We post and friend and put emojis, but, but what about the fine art of writing a card? Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I shared with you last week the reason my wife Denise is not here. A few weeks ago, she fell down and uh, she broke her arm in four places here. And it's, it's been, oh my goodness, she's can't use your right arm, and I'm her right-hand man now. Oh, yeah. I'm having to do everything that, to, to make the home and uh, function, and I do things, and I tend to this, and I tend to that just to kind of help make the home life work during this season. And here about 10 days ago, it was about 3.10 in the afternoon. She was having a moment. Our, her schedule is upside down. She can't do anything. Everything she planned, scheduled for the next couple months, just got wiped out. Uh, she's having to sleep in a chair. Can't even sleep in a bed right now. Just Our whole world is upside down. And it just kind of got, just kind of got, to her at a moment. So she was having a tearful moment. And I didn't know what to say. I've said everything I know to say. I'd said it yesterday and the day before. And she, about 3.10 in the afternoon, she's having a, a tearful moment. I didn't know what to say. So I could see out of the window. The mail just got delivered. So I just went out and mailbox she's sitting there having her moment I get the mail and I'm walking back and I'm going through it and there was an envelope 
to Denise. I had to open it up with the letter because she can't even open can't even open a letter right now. And I pulled out and I handed her the card, and somebody in the church had just written her a note and just expressed their love for her. And it came at the right time. And I'm going to tell you what I believe. I believe three days earlier, the Holy Spirit spoke to somebody. They bought the right car, not even knowing. They wrote it, put it in the mailbox. The mail service, U.S. Postal Office delivered, knowing it was going to come about 3 o'clock, 3.10 in the afternoon, right where she's having that moment. And then she would open up, and at the right time, this kind expression from somebody's heart. You know what? That person's an angel. <laughs> that person's an angel. I'm talking, kindness just works. Kindness Kindness just works. But kindness involves our involvement. You know, it, it, it's one thing, you know, I thought about you. No, this person actually wrote it out. Oh, they're an angel. They're an angel. Number three, talking about conflict resolution. We talked about patience. We talked about kindness. And the scripture ends in verse number six with truth. Truth. Truth requires my honesty. Truth requires my honesty. Now, the reason some of us are not honest, we say the truth hurts. You know what? The truth shared wrongly hurts. But the truth shared in love does not hurt. It affirms. And it's, it's not that you tell the truth, it's you do it with the right attitude. And I want to encourage, this is a, a non-COVID statement. Take off the mask. I'm not saying this mask that you have and you use. I'm talking about we don't tell the truth. We're not honest about our feelings. And we need to be honest about our feelings. And the scripture says that true patience, kindness, and truth they will stop, you, help you get off the not trained and allows you to express things that you need to express. And as it relates to truth, let me just quickly share with you. And this is for everybody in the room. This will help you in your work environments. This will help you with your son-in-law. This, this will help you with your kids. This will help you in your marriage. When you communicate, honestly, when you communicate truth, we communicate on facts, opinions, and feelings. Facts, opinions, and feelings. Facts are just what happened. At 5.30, this happened. By 10 o'clock tomorrow, this has to be shipped. By noon or by 4 o'clock, this email has to be done. This project has to be finished. The, the software has to be uploaded. This has to be done. It's just the facts, just what happens. It's just the details, the time, and etc. It's the facts. And some people, they just speak in facts. It's th they're matter-of-fact people. And they understand and they communicate in facts and nothing wrong with that. But some people, they communicate primarily in, in opinions. And the difficulty is, is if you're having uh, a communication issue, you have somebody that's speaking in facts and you're speaking in opinions, it will feel like opposition. You know, this is what has to be done. No, it doesn't have to be done that way. 
Yes, it has to be done in order for it to happen. No, it does not have to be done. And you know what's missing from that is this phrase, and I want to encourage us to begin to use it, in my opinion. Because if you express your opinion and the person that's speaking and listening in facts, they perceive it's facts, you have an automatic argument going on. So the person is speaking in facts and that's not how you see it and you think there's an adjustment or there's a different perspective, the way to say it, in my opinion, and you can offer it. It will always help to qualify to the person that's speaking and communicating in facts. You're now speaking in opinion. Then there's the person that speaks in feelings. Feelings, the way I feel about it. Now, the person speaking in opinion or speaking in facts, they talk on one level, and then you talk in the feelings area. And the thing about feelings, you can't argue with them because they're your feelings. You see, feelings, feelings, they're sometimes they're neither right or wrong. They're just your feelings. The way I feel about it is this. If you're speaking feelings, then say, the way I feel about it. Don't say, oh, no. That, that just can't happen. We're not ready for that. That's not what marriage is about. That's, that's, that, that, that's not how a family operates. And the person by opinion or facts, they don't get it. In fact, this feels like hostility. This, this defensiveness will come up in the opinion person and the fact person when you share feelings. And how you disarm it is you say, the way I feel about it, is this. I feel it could be done different. I feel that we could talk to our daughter in a different way. I feel we should respond differently about it. We need to know, is it a feeling? Is it an opinion? Or is it a fact? And there's three levels of truth. Is that your, is that your feeling? That's, that's your true feeling. Is that your opinion? That's your true opinion. Is that the facts? That's the true facts. But they're all different and they're not meeting because we're not seeing, we're speaking on the feeling level or opinion level and the other person is on the fact level. Now, fellas, let me help you. Guys, most of us, most of us operate on the fact level. But frequently, particularly your daughter, your spouse, your wife, she's primarily in relationship issues, she's going to be on the feeling level. You never say anything nice to me. What do you mean? Last November, I told you this. And that's true. The fact is. In fact, you might have said something nice to her yesterday, and you're saying, she's absolutely wrong. No, that's how she feels today. You got a point for that yesterday, but today... She feels something different. And we're, guys, we're operating on the fact level or opinion level, and she's on the feeling level. Let me give you a personal illustration of that. Uh, I, I did a funeral. I was here at the church. It was a memorial service. The person had been cremated, so it was a celebration. We had a table here with pictures and such. And family members, the family members were all out of San Antonio and they all flew in, had different flights, drove in, flew in, and they had the celebration memorial service here. 
but there was no graveside burial. It was here and what was happening just in the auditorium. And the front of the church was covered with flowers, beautiful, all the way across. The church is covered with flowers. And when the funeral was over, the spokesperson for the family said, we're all getting on planes and driving back. We can't take these flowers with them. You do whatever you want. I, I said, what do you mean? He said, if you want to keep them or if you want to toss them out, we cannot take them. Please, I, I just, you do with them as you want. Okay. And I saw these beautiful array of flowers. And I thought, Denise loves flowers. My wife loves flowers. I've never bought her flowers. Her face didn't light up. Oh, this is so thoughtful. I bring her flowers. Oh, her face will light up. She'll come over and give me a hug, say, I love you so much. I thought, wow, I'm going to pick out the prettiest flowers for my wife, Denise. And I did. The, the prettiest bouquet, the prettiest selection. They were beautiful. And I took them to her. And her face lived just like, wow, these are beautiful, wonderful. I know they are. They are beautiful. Yeah, babe, I thought about you. I, I thought about you, and I wanted you to have it. Wow, where did you get them? I said, oh, babe, I did a funeral, and we were going <laughs> to we were gonna throw these away. And, and I wanted you to have them. She didn't respond the way God and I thought she would respond. She said, you need what? You brought me flowers from a funeral? You brought me, you take these out, I'm not gonna take them. I can't believe you'd bring me flowers from a funeral. Now let me, let me tell you what happened there. She was on the feeling level and I was on the fact and the opinion. The fact is they were beautiful flowers. Guys, stay with me. And in my opinion, why waste them? Right, guys? Are you with me? They're beautiful. Why should they be wasted? I took them to it. But she did not see the fact or my opinion. She, she was all on feeling. I can't believe you'd bring me flowers from a funeral. So some of us, we're on the fact and the opinion level, but there's somebody we're in conflict that's on the feeling level. They're not wrong, they're different. And if we don't understand how they're responding, you keep giving facts and you keep strengthening your opinion, you continue to drive the feeling person away from you. And I invite you, I invite you, there's three things to solve conflict. Patience, kindness, and truth. And truth, there is a fact truth, an opinion truth, and a feeling truth. And understanding that can solve, can heal the breach in relationships. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we bring this series to a conclusion and I share what your word says and affirm patience, kindness, and truth, Help us, God, to incorporate this in our strained relationships and the conflicts that we have. 
to practice it with our employees, the people we supervise, with with our in-laws, with our family members, and our marriage. And if we can respond with patience, kindness, and truth, God, it keeps us from having to be in the not category of life. And I believe every one of us, we've identified a relationship that could be improved and could be healed by just responding the way God's Word teaches us. I pray that. I speak that for people. And I I pray, God, that healing and restoration, and when it comes to the conflict, help us to solve it and not dissolve it. And I speak that for people and the hope of healing and reconciliation. In Jesus' name, amen.